0: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend, by the way, is producing today's program. Clark Hilton is engineering. Today on the program, we're going to talk with Michael Austin. He's a Christian commentator and communications consultant and the national spokesman for Christian History Institute. He's uh, frequently interviewed about timely topics appearing in Christian History Magazine, and that is precisely what he will be doing with us here today. He's the founder of Publish the Good News, a communication and consults um, with businesses, professional service firms, and ministries. We're going to talk about their latest issues—that issue rather—that talks about the history of Christians in terms of hospitals and hospital care. So he'll be joining us to uh, to look back at how the church played a significant role. In the formation of healthcare and hospitals. So, looking forward to that. First, a look at some of the day's headlines. The coronavirus pandemic brought to light the critical importance of securing U.S. supply chains to eliminate the long time reliance on foreign governments. That's a quote from White House senior advisor Jared Kushner in a rare interview on Sunday on the next revolution. I think the campaign platform that President Trump ran in 2016, which was basically you have to secure your borders and you have to control your own manufacturing as a nation for national security purposes, I think those have been totally vindicated uh, from the virus, and I doubt it will be easy for people to argue against them in the future. He was speaking to host Steve Hilton. This was a rare interview. Kushner has been a key figure in the federal effort to manage the flow of U.S. supply chains and ensure hospitals in need of of properly equipped uh, equipment with ventilators and so on, uh, other life-saving medical equipment. Uh, His team that's worked together with the Coronavirus Task Force led by the vice president is now focused on solving the issues of insufficient testing at the center of the coronavirus crisis here in the U.S., and health officials in Wuhan, China, the epicenter of the global coronavirus pandemic, said on Sunday that the city's hospitals are clear of any virus patients. Mi Feng, the National Health Commission spokesman, said the number of new coronavirus patients in the city was zero and credited the coordinated efforts between medical personnel from across the country. Now, there have been nearly three million confirmed coronavirus cases across the globe, 206,000 known deaths. The number of those infected is likely far higher because, in many cases, the virus is relatively minor symptoms. The U.S. currently leads the world with 965,000 cases. In other news, Democratic leaders in Congress continue on Sunday to remain quiet on the sexual assault allegations leveled against their party's presumptive presidential nominee, Joe Biden. Even as anger over the accusations mounted from the party's more progressive wing. Well, neither House Speaker Nancy Pelosi nor Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer have made any public comment about the allegations by Tara Reid, a staffer for Biden in 1993, that the then-senator from Delaware sexually assaulted her. Pelosi and Schumer's offices did not return calls for comment either. There's a growing anger from both progressive Democrats and supporters of the Me Too movement about the lack of response from Democratic leaders toward the allegations. The hashtag... Uh, Dropout Biden was trending on Twitter on Sunday until it was allegedly um, removed, and many supporters for former Democratic presidential primary hopeful Bernie Sanders are calling on Biden to suspend his campaign for the White House. In other related news, potential Biden uh, running mates uh, haven't been asked about those allegations when interviewed, and accuser Tara Reid said she lost total respect for CNN's Anderson Cooper for not confronting the former vice president. President Trump held a 25-minute briefing on Friday, much shorter than the traditional hours-long affairs. By Saturday, he declared the briefings weren't worth the time and effort, which theoretically means they'll be tailored henceforth. We'll see what happens today. Roughly 6% of Floridians may have been infected with the coronavirus, according to the University of Miami antibody analysis, which puts the extrapolated rate of infection at 16 times above the headline number, which in effect reduces the fatality rate. If anything, Florida's study corroborates other antibody studies in California and in New York. And New York has refused to send nursing homes COVID-19 patients to nearly empty, underutilized USNS Comfort, which is returning to Virginia. The big hoopla about it coming. Now it's going back. This week, Colorado, Mississippi, Minnesota, Montana, and Tennessee will get their economies rolling again, Reuters reports. Last week, it was Georgia, Oklahoma, Alaska, and South Carolina. A better late than never, but still maybe too late for her political career. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer extends a stay-at-home order while liberating the state's draconian bans that led to protests. And states are facing $500 billion shortfalls as Congress, deba- Congress rather debates aid. And the president calls uh, reports he may fire the Health and Human Service Secretary, Alex Azar, fake news, saying there's no truth in it. The Navy has recommended reinstating Brett Crozier, who was ousted as commander of the USS Theodore Roosevelt for flagging and drawing attention in a private correspondence uh, uh, that there was coronavirus and his concern that those um, men and women needed to be evacuated. Well, governors nationwide, in addition to those who are beginning to open up are weighing the pros and cons of opening up, some more cautious than others. Meanwhile, Virginia Health Commissioner Norman Oliver said Democratic Governor Ralph Northam's phase one coronavirus response plan could last two years. And from a fascinating story at The Wall Street Journal, no conclusions can be drawn about the states that sheltered quickly because their death rates ran the full gamut from 20 per million in Oregon To 360 in New York. This wide variation means that other variables like population density or subway use were more important. Our correlation coefficient for per capita death rate versus the population density was 44 percent. That suggests New York City might have benefited from its shutdown, but blindly copying New York's policies in places uh, with low COVID-19 death rates such as uh, Wisconsin doesn't make sense. And because the jobs can't be done from home, Las Vegas is seeing a particularly daunting unemployment rate, and Girl Scouts are getting a federal recovery loan to offset lost cookie sales. A Japanese magazine is reporting a Chinese team of doctors were sent to North Korea after Kim Jong-un had a heart attack on the 11th of um, April, and there's some speculation as to his status. The rumors illustrate North Korea's outsized dependence on a single person for its political stability. The answer to the question of his health holds significant implications for the future of the high-stakes nuclear negotiations with the U.S. and the stability of a country on China's border. From another story, uh, the best guess regarding Kim is he likely uh, did have some sort of health issue requiring him to convalesce for a bit. Kim looked a bit peaked. Uh, during his last known public appearance a few days before his disappearance perhaps he needed surgery or will need a procedure in the future hence the Reuters report of china's doctors visiting north korea or maybe he has coronavirus or recently recovered from it this has uh, put a lot of focus on his sister we'll talk more about that if time permits later in today's program according to the covid-19 tracking project covid deaths uh, fall uh, rather fell to the lowest single day level since the 6th of april but several sites tracking daily deaths and cases say not so fast. Uh, Johns Hopkins University, World Meters, Our World in Data, and the New York Times are not on the same page. From another story, in an appearance on Fox News' Waters World, uh, Dr. Burks indicated that the, uh, name of COVID, the number of COVID-19 cases and deaths are expected to drastically decrease next month. We believe that both the hospitalization, the ICU need, and frankly, the number of people who have succumbed to this disease will be dramatically decreased by the end of May that's encouraging And from another story, um, Democrat Adam Schiff is keeping declassified interviews away from the public view. Mr. Schiff isn't explaining his new opposition to transparency, though it seems likely he wants to shield promoters of the the collusion theory from scrutiny. Among the transcripts he's blocking are interviews with former Obama National Security Advisor Susan Rice and former ambassador to the United Nations Samantha Power. Their authority was used to unmask the names of Trump campaign officials who talked with foreigners who were wiretapped by U.S. intelligence. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're winding our way through some of the day's top news stories. Later in the program, we'll hear from Michael Austin. He is a Christian commentator and communications consultant. He's a spokesman for the Christian History Institute. We'll talk about their latest issue on the role the church has played in the formation of healthcare and hospitals, the systems as well as the facilities themselves. He'll join us later this hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we'll be back. In just a few moments,
0: you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
1: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Looking forward to a conversation this hour with Michael Austin. He's a Christian commentator and communications consultant, and also the national spokesperson for um, Christian History Institute and Christian History Magazine in this latest edition. Given our pandemic, has uh, published an issue on the role that the the Christian church has played in the establishment of health care as a concept and hospitals uh, as well. So we'll look forward to talking with him about that, looking backward. We're winding our way through some of the top news stories of the day. Uh, We're learning that Americans are suffering from what they're calling quarantine fatigue. And many are getting out regardless. Uh, They're swarming the beaches of California. John Fund looks And Hong Kong flu in the late 60s that's similar to this, uh, won and um, uh, killed a million people worldwide where they experienced the same kind of cabin fever as uh, we apparently are suffering from today. But it's uh, now been given an actual name, quarantine fatigue. So we're doing less, but we're worn out doing it, or I guess in this case, not doing it. The black State Representative Vernon Jones, who resigned his position in the legislature for supporting uh, Donald Trump, said that I will not allow the Democrats to bully me into submission. I will not let them win. He's decided he will not resign, as he had announced he would last week. And um, a man has lost a half a million dollars on uh, rock, paper, scissors. The court says give it back. In Quebec, a law also stipulates that a wagering contract is only valid if related to activities requiring only skill, or bodily exertion on the part of the parties, and not chance. So if you're um, in Quebec and you do the scissors, papers, rock, and that whole game, you can't wager on that and collect. On this day in history, 1950, Britain formally recognizes the state of Israel. On this day in history, 1982, the trial of John W. Hinckley, Jr., who shot four people, including President Ronald Reagan, begins in Washington. Washington. And in 2006, on this day, construction begins on the 1,776-foot Freedom Tower at the site of the World Trade Center in New York City. 2014, Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas calls the Nazi Holocaust the most heinous crime of modern history. And on this day in history, 2018, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un makes history by crossing over to South Korea to meet with President Moon Jae-in. It was the first time a member of the Kim dynasty set foot on southern soil since the end of the Korean War in 1953. Now we don't know where he is or what his condition is. An Oregon update on the coronavirus or COVID-19. As of uh, Sunday, uh, the Oregon Health Authority announced four more deaths and 58 new cases of COVID-19 in Oregon on Sunday. The four additional deaths bring the toll- death toll to 91 and the total number of positive cases is now 2,311. The total of 48,964 people have been tested for the virus in the state. The Oregon Health Authority released the following information as well about the four people who died all had underlying conditions. A uh, 51-year-old man in Wasco County who tested positive on the 19th died on the 24th of this month in Mid-Columbia uh, County at the Mid-Columbia Medical Center, a 70-year-old man from Multnomah County who tested positive on the 12th and died on the 18th at his home, and a 75-year-old woman from Multnomah County who tested positive on the 18th, died on the 25th at Adventist Medical Center, and a 93-year-old woman in Marion County who tested positive on the 9th of April, died on the 22nd in Salem. The 58 new COVID-19 cases reported Sunday are uh, in the following counties, 29 from Multnomah County, four from Marion and Coos County, respectively, seven from Washington County, um, one in Benton, three in Clackamas County and Lynn County, one in Polk, Umatilla, Yamhill, and Benton counties. Also, the Oregon Supreme Court on Thursday last week said limits do not violate the state constitution, referring to Oregon's uh, campaign contribution limits, saying, yeah, they're legal in Oregon. Again, a major ruling that clears the way for controls on campaign donations in metro area races and potentially signals an end to Oregon's distinction as one of the biggest money states in American politics. Well, the ruling promises upheaval and uncertainty during an election cycle that's already an upheaval um, and uncertainty that had already seen fundraising turned upside down by the novel coronavirus. It means strict contribution limits adopted by statewide voters in 2006 – may have gone into a place in the frenzied weeks before Oregon's May primary election. In an instant, the ruling potentially transformed Oregon, from one of the nation's most permissive campaign finance states, into one of its strictest. Though the court ruled that $500 campaign, $500 campaign um, limits adopted by an overwhelming majority of Multnomah County voters in 2016 do not run afoul of the state constitution, which for decades has allowed the free flow of money in state politics. The court's opinion, authored by Chief Justice Martha Walters, concludes that contribution limits are not prohibited under the state constitution. It sends the case back to a lower court to decide whether Multnomah County's dollar limits themselves are too low, while tossing out limits that Multnomah County voters set on campaign expend- expenditures. Rather, On the biggest question, whether the state's constitution's free speech provision prohibits caps on the donation to politicians, Oregon's top court made clear limits are legal while tennessee mississippi and montana are allowing some businesses to reopen today under new health guidelines as several states begin to relax coronavirus lockdown restrictions in a bid to get american workers safely back to work while the move to reopen follows the uh, in the steps of georgia oklahoma and alaska which on friday began loosening lockdown restrictions on businesses there despite health officials warning the gradual return to daily life might be happening too soon Well, Tennessee has a pledge. Tennessee has seen the average daily infection rate remain stable for two weeks following the ramp-up in testing and let restaurants reopen on Monday at 50 percent capacity in 89 of the state's 95 counties, Governor Bill Lee's office said in a news release. Well, retailers are expected to reopen on Wednesday under the same rules with workers in both industries asked to wear mask coverings and follow federal guidelines regarding hygiene under the governor's plan dubbed the Tennessee Pledge. The COVID-19 outbreak has put a burden on families and small businesses in the state, the governor said, with 15% of the state's workforce, more than 400,000 people filing unemployment claims as of last week. Well, Mississippi, their safer-at-home plan, uh, according to Mississippi's Governor Tate Reeves, he signed a um, safer-at-home executive order Friday that lets most retailers reopen today with a 50% reduced capacity. Businesses that cannot avoid social contact like salons and gyms will not be allowed to reopen. Movie theaters and museums will also remain closed while restaurants will be allowed to resume takeout service. Wall Street and Hollywood will be fine, the Republican governor wrote in part of a lengthy statement on Facebook. Mississippi small business and workers are not. That's who has been asked to shoulder the country's burden. It's not fair and it's not right. We have to safety... Safely, rather, quickly reopen. That's what we're starting to do. Montana's rollout, according to the Democrat Governor Steve Bullock, also gave retailers the green light to reopen on Monday with bars, restaurants, and casinos eligible to open May the 4th as part of the state's plan to gradually reopen. The Treasury uh, state uh, took its its first steps on Sunday, allowing churchgoers to attend services after a month-long hiatus. Gyms, pools, movie theaters, and bowling alleys, however, will remain closed, Residents are still asked to minimize non-essential travel and to self-quarantine for 14 days after returning to the state. Montana was early in combating this virus, the governor said there uh, on Friday during a news conference announcing the phased plan. We've taken the right steps at the right time. Well, the slow restart to normalcy is uh, the trio of states comes just days after Republican governors in Georgia and Oklahoma allowed salons, spas, and barbershops to reopen despite the White House's recommendation for how soon states should be back up and running. Uh, Meanwhile, and I'm going to reach over here and grab a document I just um, read, Texas Governor Greg Abbott detailed plans on Monday to reopen the state for business with the pandemic, allowing places like retail stores, restaurants, and movie theaters to open up to customers at a limited capacity on Friday the 1st of May. Now, the move by the Texas governor puts that state, the country's second largest economy behind California, at the forefront of the movement to reopen state economies that have been basically brought to a standstill as the U.S. grapples with the outbreak of COVID-19. He said a more strategic approach is required so that we don't open only to close down again. Along with retail stores, restaurants, movie theaters, the governor said that museums and libraries can also reopen on Friday at a 25 percent capacity. Sole proprietors of businesses can also open, and doctors and dentists uh, can uh, resume normal operations as well. He added that hospitals will still have to keep 50% of their capacity for patients suffering from COVID-19. Churches and places of worship, which were allowed to remain open during the state's stay-at-home order, are also allowed to expand their capacity provided safe social distancing measures are still enacted. Barbershops, hair salons, and bars will still remain closed. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a break and we'll be back, so stay with us.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're looking at some of the headline news. CDC has added six new coronavirus symptoms to the list, the growing list of symptoms that are being discovered. Well, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has added six new symptoms, and these are new to those reported. Um, to be associated with coronavirus. Now, I say new because they're new to the CDC list, but they're known pretty broadly by others who are on the front lines of this pandemic. Chills, repeated shaking with chills, muscle pain, headache, sore throat, new loss of taste and smell now stand alongside previously recorded symptoms on the CDC website, such as fever, cough, and shortness of breath or difficulty breathing. Well, the CDC noted that patients typically see symptoms within 2 to 14 days following exposure to coronavirus. As the virus cases approach 3 million worldwide, knowledge surrounding the deadly disease continues to evolve. Well, immediate uh, medical attention is advised upon experiencing trouble breathing, persistent pain or pressure in the chest, new confusion or inability to arouse and um, bluish lips and face, the CDC notes in their non-inclusive list, And while older adults, especially those with underlying health issues like heart or lung disease or diabetes, are most vulnerable to serious complications from the virus, recent reports note that younger patients are dying of sudden strokes. So that's something to uh, sober us all up. Uh, Mount Sinai Health System neurosurgeon Dr. Thomas Oxley, he said the virus is causing clots in arteries resulting in severe strokes. A report shows a Sevenfold increase in incidence of sudden stroke in young patients during the past two weeks. He was speaking on CNN. He said most of these patients have no past medical history, were at home with either mild symptoms or, in two cases, no symptoms of COVID at all. Early reports of unusual skin issues, or COVID toes, as they're calling them, have also surfaced. Another doctor, um, Esther Freeman, a dermatologist at Massachusetts General Hospital, told NBC Today that COVID toes may be linked to the virus. She said purple lesions could suddenly appear either on the patient's feet or hands. She said the theory should be tested because the so-called COVID toes may appear with or without other symptoms. So add that to your list of uh, things to look for if you're concerned about contracting COVID-19. Well, coronavirus, we're also learning, may live longer in one's eyes than in other body parts. Uh, according to a Chinese report cited uh, by Channel 13 in Jerusalem, the report stated that a Chinese woman was carrying the virus in her eye while her nose was clear. The woman who was 65 years old flew to Italy from the Chinese city of Wuhan where the coronavirus first broke out. She reported feeling sick on the 27th of January and quickly became uh, began rather to cough and experience high fever as well as an eye infection. After 20 days of being in hospital, the eye infection cleared, but the virus was found in her eyes the next day. No virus was detected in her um, eyes or nose after that date, but on her 27th day in the hospital, the virus was discovered again in her eyes. The report claimed that the virus can replicate even when it's no longer detectable, meaning the infection potential exists even when patients seem to be healthy. Uh, And again, uh, just a reminder of one of the things that we've been hearing throughout, that coronavirus is largely spread by people without symptoms. We tend to fear those who have clear symptoms or have been diagnosed, but coronavirus is largely spread by people who are asymptomatic. So again, something to keep in mind as we shelter in place, not only for our own sakes, but for the sake of others. We don't know who um, has the virus in um, his or her system, but is asymptomatic, as tough as it may be. Well, homemade face masks are becoming the norm as the coronavirus epidemic continues to ravage the United States, with some states, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and beyond, now require these masks in public. But if you are a glasses wearer, you may have noticed that wearing the face mask can cause your lenses to fog. So what can you do to prevent this? Well, thankfully, there appears to be a simple solution. In a 2011 study from the Annals of um, Royal College of Surgeons of uh, England, researchers advised washing the glasses with soapy water immediately before wearing your face mask. Well, after uh, shaking off the excess water, let the spectacles air dry or gently dry off with the the lenses with a soft tissue before putting them back on. Now the spectacle lenses shouldn't mist up when the face mask is worn. Huh. Uh, Wondering why that works? Well, the researchers said that um, this as well, when wearing face masks, air exhaled from your mouth moves upward and comes into contact with the lenses, ultimately causing them to fog. Well, that part we already knew, but more specifically, they say the misting occurs from the warm water vapor uh, content condensing in the coolest surface of the lens and forming tiny droplets that scatter the light and reduce the ability of the lens to transmit uh, contrast. Well, the droplets form because of the inherent surface uh, tension between the water and the molecules. And when you wash your glasses with soapy water before you wear them, they said, it leaves behind a thin um, suffatent, they called it, uh film that reduces this uh, this surface tension and causes the water molecules to spread out evenly into a transparent layer. So that the uh, this surface uh, effect is widely utilized to prevent misting of surfaces in many everyday solution. So, again, you wash your uh, your lenses with uh, soapy water, um, and it doesn't say hot or cold, just soapy water, immediately b- uh, before wearing your face mask, shake the water, the excess off, allow it to air dry, or gently dry off the lenses with the soft tissue before putting them back on. So, there you have it. Well, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has drafted proposed guidelines for a phased-in reopening of the economy as some states start to lift stay-at-home orders and resume operations with the coronavirus pandemic, well, a copy of this 17-page draft proposal, uh, which contains guidelines for childcare centers, for schools, day camps, faith-based institutions, bars and restaurants, public transportation, and an outline of uh, specific uh, directions for each sector, according to the Washington Post, which first obtained the draft guidelines, A Corona Task Force member, Dr. Deborah Birx and Dr. Anthony Fauci, an assistant to the president and director of the Domestic Policy Council, Joe Grogan, have reviewed the proposed guidelines. They have not yet been released, but they are available. Now, the CDC draft proposal begins with child care programs, stating that the reopening of these programs is crucial to helping parents and guardians return to work. The guidelines note that in communities that are deemed significant mitigation areas by state and local authorities, Child care programs should be closed, but that in other areas, programs can choose to remain open to serve children of essential workers, such as health care workers. The reopening of child care centers includes three phases. Phase one would restrict care to just children of essential workers. Phase two would expand to all children with enhanced social distancing measures. Good luck at a daycare facility with that. And um, uh, phase three would open the programs for all children with social distancing measures while promoting healthy hygiene habits, and intensity, um, intensify cleaning, disinfection, and ventilation. The CDC recommends that during phase one and two, classes should include the same group of children every day, the same child care provider, and recommend screening of children as they arrive. As for schools, the CDC recommends that schools that are currently closed remain closed while ensuring a continuation of student services such as school meal programs. As for summer camps, the CDC draft recommends that camps be restricted to children of essential workers in phase one, with phase two welcoming children who live in the local area only. By phase three, the CDC recommends that camps restrict attendance to those from limited transmission areas. Meanwhile, the proposal lays out guidelines for religious institutions, but according to the Post, those guidelines have been the subject of many changes in the drafts. This guidance is not intended to infringe on First Amendment uh, rights as provided in the U.S. Constitution, the CDC draft proposal says in the Communities of Faith section, but goes on to say the federal government uh, may not prescribe standards for interactions of faith communities and houses of worship, and no faith community should be asked to adopt any mitigation strategies that are more stringent than the mitigation strategies asked of similarly situated entities or activities in accordance with the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. The proposal states, adding that the CDC offers these suggestions that faith communities may consider and accept or reject, consistent with their own faith traditions, in the court of preparing their own plans to prevent the spread of COVID-19. And this is much more broadly worded than some of the cases that we've talked about here of late in which churches were singled out. Uh, And other uh, organizations and meetings, if you will, were excluded. Now, the guidelines suggest that faith communities consider limiting gatherings um, to those that can be held virtually or streaming online for phase one. For all three phases, the CDC recommends that faith communities consider temporarily limiting the sharing of prayer books and worship materials and consider using a stationary collection box or mail or electronic payment instead of the traditional shared collection trays and baskets and avoid or consider suspending choir or musical ensembles during religious services in that um, the COVID-19 is spread through aspiration. And as you're singing, you're aspirating all over each other. So uh, it goes on from there. But these are the uh, draft outlined uh, recommendations from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
1: Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're talking about some of the recommendations around COVID nineteen and uh, states who are loosening up their stay at home orders and what those conditions are. What the CDC is now saying, or uh, the updated list of symptoms, as well as uh, what they're considering in terms of um, loosening things up so that people can return to work or school or Normalcy, I suppose, is a better way to put it. We're also learning that regular exercise can help prevent coronavirus complications from worsening. A preventative medicine study is claiming that, according to reports, the best way to prevent coronavirus complications from worsening is regular exercise. The director of the Center for Skeletal Muscle Research at the University of Virginia School of Medicine Uh, It recommends 30 minutes of cardiovascular workout every day to prevent the respiratory disease. 30 minutes, James. I hope you heard that. We cannot live in isolation forever, he says. Regular exercise has far more health benefits than we know. The protection against this severe respiratory disease condition is just one of the many examples. Now, we've heard about people who have um, run a marathon, one man who ran a marathon in his backyard, another who ran a marathon in the vacated um, hotel in which she works. Uh, but doc- the doctor says biking, rowing, or other types of aerobics can help prevent or reduce the severity of the lung disease, ARDS. Uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is estimated between 20 and 42% of all patients hospitalized with COVID-19 will develop ARDS. Marty Kelly, a trainer originally from Ireland who has been boxing coach in New York City, says that he's been using quarantine working out twice a day and posting workouts online for people around the world, stuck at home. He used to play soccer, but a test of manhood as a boy changed his life. Not sure what that meant, but anyway. Uh, He said growing up in Ireland as as a good kid, exercise was a regular part of his activity. He's continued that into adulthood and is trying to encourage others to do the same. And there are lots of resources online. Uh, for folks who want to exercise in order to, um, well, prevent catching COVID ID or at least minimizing the impacts if you do, according to this latest study. We've been uh, been speculating about what things will be different when we uh, return to normal or at least new normal. I'm not sure things will be quite the same in a very long time as they were just months ago. But telemedicine is surging with the coronavirus pandemic of necessity. And they say that's going to change the industry forever. In such uncertain and unpredictable times, which are also unprecedented, telemedicine and telebehavioral health services are becoming a convenient resource as brick and mortar practices keep their doors closed. People are finding that they can be very useful. One company called Doctor on Demand offers online Urgent care and behavioral health services and over the last four to six weeks the company brought on a hundred of additional medical providers, psychiatrists and psychologists in an effort to offer twenty four seven access to care all across fifty states. The online practice aims to connect patients and health care providers in less than ten minutes on average. Says one of them. Uh, Dr. Nicole Benders, we're seeing this demand right now, but I think once the impact of this is fully realized, I think it's going to result in the industry as a whole being changed forever. Now, are you going to be satisfied? I'm asking you, the listener, with uh, telemedicine once you uh, have unfettered access to your doctor. Well, sometimes making an appointment is far in advance. I had an appointment uh, in April, it had to be pushed out to uh, mid May. I don't know if I'm going to be able to see my doctor in mid-May, but once this pandemic has ended, our sheltering in place has come to an end, quarantining has ended, will telemedicine be as appealing as people are finding it useful today? Well, this doctor said while brick-and-mortar behavioral care facilities may take up to 25 days to connect with patients, online care can speed the process up to an unprecedented one to five days. And while the media document the urgency for adequate personal protective equipment, or PPE, this doctor feels she provides emotional PPE for frontline health care workers. We've been really excited with services expanded, uh, being able to help eliminate some of the barriers to healthcare care access and reach people that are really in need at this time. Doctors on Demand has seen an estimated 140% uptick in virtual care visits across the board, in particular child mental health therapy has been in high demand, which is um, kind of a sad revelation uh, to, uh, to learn. Well, currently there is uh, no known scientific cure for the disease known as COVID-19, but researchers at a New York City hospital, uh, they're testing a compound found in heartburn medication to see if it can be used as treatment. Now, I don't uh, mention this to suggest you start loading up on heartburn medications, but just as the latest illustration of efforts to um, not just find a cure because we're Quite some distance from that possibility, but find some way to relieve the symptoms. Well, Northwell Health is uh, trailing the compound. Um, let's see, famotidine, famotidine. Let's go with that, famotidine, which is found in the heartburn drug Pepcid, in more than 150 patients to see if it inhibits the coronavirus in a similar fashion that certain drugs block HIV/AIDS replication. Well, speaking with Science Magazine that first reported the news, Kevin Tracy, a former neurosurgeon in charge of the research, said that he kept the news of the trial under wraps for fear of a run on the supply. Uh, This happens with lupus patients and hydroxychloroquine earlier in the month. Uh, If we talked about this to the wrong people or too soon, the drug supply would be gone. He added that he would keep results of the trial's Uh, prospects until the initial results from the first 391 patients. Uh, They hope that uh, they'll have nearly 1,200 ultimately have been tallied. If it does work, we'll know in the next few weeks and that will be made public and publicly available. According to the New York Post, his uh, uh, North Shore University Hospital Long Island Jewish Medical Center and Lenox Hill Hospital are participating in that study. Uh, The trial is combining um, famotidine along with um, hydroxychloroquine an anti-malarial drug first used in the 50s. Last week, the FDA warned the drug, which the president had touted as a potential game changer, should be avoided outside of hospitals following reports of serious heart rhythm problems. People should not self-medicate with either of these drugs that are in the process of being tested. The group taking um, famotidine uh, will be um, compared with a group taking only hydroxychloroquine as well as a control group. And again, it's a matter of weeks before they'll have some clear understanding of the Uh, effectiveness of this drug uh, as a standalone treatment or in um, in combination with hydroxychloroquine well new york has canceled its democratic presidential primary scheduled for the 23rd of june for the first time ever due to the coronavirus pandemic while the move by democrats on the new york state board of elections followed senator bernie sanders announcement that he would suspend his presidential campaign rendering former vice president joe biden the presumptive democratic nominee. Well, just a day earlier, Sanders' campaign asked the New York State Board of Elections to let his name remain on the Democratic primary ballot, saying doing so would impede efforts to unify the Democratic Party in advance of November elections. Well, the state still plans to hold congressional and state-level primaries on June the 23rd, but New York Democratic Party Chair Jay Jacobs said canceling the state's presidential primary would mean a lower expected turnout and a reduced need for polling places. It just makes so much sense, he says, given the extraordinary nature of the challenge. Well, the move is sure to upset Sanders, whose campaign on Sunday asked the commissioners not to cancel the primary. Sanders endorsed Biden earlier this month. But when he suspended his campaign, he said he hoped to keep amassing delegates in an effort to influence the Democratic Party's platform. And the global coronavirus death toll has surpassed 200,000 on Saturday, according to Johns Hopkins University researchers. There are now at least 201,502 COVID-related deaths reported in the world. There are currently more than 2.8 million confirmed cases around the globe, with the United States nearing the 1 million mark as of Saturday, with more than 924,000 confirmed instances of the novel virus. The U.S. also makes up around one quarter of the global death Uh, with uh, deaths, rather, with at least 53,275 as of Saturday. That number has since gone up. At the current pace, confirmed global uh, cases surpassed 3 million uh, in the coming days, more than the populations of several countries, such as Gutter, Lithuania, and Jamaica. And while the numbers continue to climb, several countries and states have managed to flatten the curve and are currently considering how to resume activities and reopen their economies. Unemployment in the United States climbed to 26 million over the past month, meaning that even though the states have managed to flatten the curve and handle the surge of cases, damage to the economy is expected to, well, to last throughout the rest of the year. Some experts warn that this is just the first wave with a second coronavirus wave in the fall that could be much deadlier. New York born and raised um, uh, reporters with a focus on uh, national and global news uh, make the point that in New York, The concern is even greater. That is, at this point, the epicenter here in the United States. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up in just a moment, so stay with us. In the second hour of the program, we're going to talk with Michael Austin. He's a Christian commentator and communications consultant and national spokesperson for the Christian History Institute. Uh, He's going to talk with us about Christian History Magazine and this current issue that has to do with uh, hospitals and um, hospital care and the role that the church has played in establishing both. We'll be back in just a few minutes to talk with him and much more about that.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
1: Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. As you are sheltering in place and looking for good content to fill your heart and your mind as you anticipate life returning to at least some level of normalcy, I want to encourage you to take advantage of a limited time offer, and that is the opportunity to uh, view No Safe Spaces, the documentary that was 2019's top political documentary. Now it's available to watch at home. Now critics have called No Safe Spaces smart, vital, urgent, one of the most important documentaries that you need to see today. I have seen it, and I would agree. It tells pretty disturbing stories of how America is becoming a dangerous place to speak your mind and share ideas, particularly on college campuses where the free exchange of ideas is supposed to be a hallmark. Uh, it does it in an entertaining and powerful way. You can imagine all of that <laughs> being communicated in an entertaining way. Well, the film stars Dennis Prager, Adam Carolla, but also features Ben Shapiro, Jordan uh, Peterson, Tim Allen, and personalities on the left like Van Jones, Cornel West, and Alan Dershowitz. If you wonder about the depth of political correctness on college campuses and beyond that issues free speech, you'll find No Safe Spaces and eye-opening and challenging documentary. Now, for a limited time, No Safe Spaces can be watched online as the result of Salem Media that has jumped into the movie business by streaming No Safe Spaces. You can go to nosafespaces.com. It costs $19.95, but for KPDQ listeners, you can use the discount code SAVE25 for a 25% discount. You get the idea. Nosafespaces.com, discount code SAVE25. Why not watch Today. Sounds like a good idea to me. The European Union uh, report accusing China and Russia of running a global disinformation campaign in the midst of all of this was significantly scaled back after pressure from Beijing and fears that if China was blamed, it would withhold much-needed medical supplies around the world as retaliation. The first version of the report, seen by the South China Morning Post, described the world's most populous country as running a large-scale public relations campaign To deflect from the missteps it made during the early days of the novel coronavirus, which included silencing doctors, shifting its timeline and reporting significantly lower rates of infection, which made it almost impossible for other countries to prepare for the pandemic. So for COVID-19, which was first reported in Wuhan, China, has infected um, 3 million people worldwide and killed 207,431 so far. But instead of holding Beijing's feet to the fire, the most uh, condemning section of the EU report was scrubbed because diplomats were worried that such a public takedown of China would strain relations and make it more difficult to get medical supplies that are in high demand in hard hit European countries. Uh, You can always count on the great democracies of Europe to cower in the face of despotism. That's a quote from Gordon Chang, foreign affairs expert, on Monday, last century. They debase themselves before a German tyrant. This century, it's a Chinese one. When will they ever learn? End quote. Well, the EU report is uh, in, in question is part of a routine update given by the EU's disinformation team, which is embedded in the bloc's diplomatic unit, uh, the European External Action Service. Well, the decision to water down China's role in the pandemic underscores Beijing's ability to sway foreign governments because of its status as the key exporter of medical products, which also explains why so many in the U.S. are suggesting we need to manufacture these things here at home. Well, the pushback from China to kill the comments also underscores how President Xi Jinping and the ruling Communist Party there know how the rest of the world sees their handling of the pandemic and is desperate to change that image. Well, the initial report worked hard to sidestep any mention of the virus origins in China, but said Beijing blamed the United States for spreading the disease internationally. It also noted that China had criticized France for being too slow to respond to the global pandemic and started rumors that French politicians used racial slurs against the World Health Organization, something that has proven to be false. The report then took Russia on, criticizing Moscow's effort to peddle lies and sow distrust among Western nations. Well, on Friday, the New York Times reported that Lutz Gullner, an EU diplomat, wrote to his colleagues about how China was trying to rewrite history and shift blame at any cost, saying the Chinese are already threatening with reactions if the report comes out. Well, in the final report, the sentence uh, about Beijing's global disinformation campaign was edited out, as was the mention of a rift between China and France. The kowtowing to China was infuriating several diplomats and government disinformation analysts, and at least one formally objected and wrote to her boss that the European Union was self-censoring to appease the Chinese uh, Community Party. Uh, Again, the New York Times reporting. Politico also reported that three sources confirmed to the news outlet that Chinese diplomats had pressured EU officials to tone down the report and also claimed the report criticized Russia, and that official sources and state controlled media and social media channels have been running a coordinated campaign promoting false health information. Well according to the report, the most affected uh, are smaller media markets within the within and outside the EU where tech companies face lower incentives to take adequate counter measures. So all of this is going to have a, a significant impact after the pandemic has at least uh, slowed down somewhat. Only we are told to return with a roar perhaps in the fall. Last week, the Centers for Disease Control Director, Robert Redfield, warned of a second wave of coronavirus emerging in the fall. Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, rather concurred, but he insisted America will not be as unprepared as it was this time. In the fall, we will be much, much better prepared to do the kind of containment compared to what happened to us this winter. As America has learned, containment is a loaded word. Well, in this current crisis the longest if not the first complete shutdown in US history the freedoms of american democracy are being tested in ways we scarcely ever imagine victor davis hansen writes he's an historian hansen is somewhat in error members of the globalist minded ruling class have long imagined the fundamental transformation of america and there is little question that their corporate media shills have run what is arguably the most successful panic inducing campaign in the nation's history That um, media-anointed experts have been wrong sometimes by an order of several magnitudes, that millions of Americans have been traumatized that may never recover. As far as the media are concerned, it is uh, utter folly to even suggest that locking down the nation might have been the wrong course of action. I'm not sure you could say it was the wrong course, but... In context, um, uh, rather, context is everything. Americans have to never forget that media elitists remain well-paid and well-fed, even as they deem themselves worthy of lecturing millions of their fellow Americans with no money, no jobs, and virtually no hope about their shortcomings. Their fellow elitists eat ice cream while Americans wait at food banks. They receive concierge medical treatment in the Hamptons, while millions can't get desperately needed medical treatment at all. Nonetheless, the elites continue to insist that flattening the curve, even if it takes 18 months, is the only sensible and moral course of action. Yet what are we to make of such an assessment in light of a possible second wave? America might not endure the current shutdown without massive economic and health consequences. A second shutdown could push the nation into post-apocalyptic territory, a bit of an overstatement, possibly precipitating even more death and destruction than the worst coronavirus projections. Moreover, what does flattening the curve really mean? If the whole idea behind it uh, it was to prevent the healthcare system from being overwhelmed, and that is what uh, uh, the whole idea behind it was, we have certainly accomplished that. But is it uh, because we self-isolated? A study from the University of Southern California and Los Angeles County Department of Public Health indicates that between 221,000 and 442,000 adults in that area had previously been infected. Another study in New York indicates as many as 2.7 million New Yorkers could have had the virus. And in Miami, approximately 165,000 people also have virus antibodies. All three totals far exceed the number of confirmed cases. More important, how does one square self-isolation in New York with open mass transit systems? Flattening the curve also implies something else. If all you do is flatten the curve, you don't prevent deaths or severe cases. You just change the dates. Again, herd immunity may be the answer to all of this, and that apparently is what we're uh, what we're heading toward, the idea of herd immunity. We're going to take a break here in just a moment. When we return, we'll talk about the uh, ravages of isolation. Most of us don't live in complete isolation. We have media to connect with one another. But they say isolation is the key to social and physical distancing aimed at curbing the uh, transmission of COVID-19. But isolation of both the ill and symptomatic along with the well also intensifies problems with mental health like depression. It's impacting one key aspect of those in recovery from addictions, not to mention the deaths and diseases of despair. We'll talk about this idea of isolation and the uh, downside. They tell us that we now have a form of um, what are they calling it um well it's a form of isolation that we are now uh, being traumatized by we'll tell you more about that and what to do about it when we return you're listening to the Georgine Rice show we'll be back
0: you're listening to the Georgine Rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ
1: hey we're back you're listening to the Georgine Rice show and sadly i have to tell you that michael austin will not join us today on the program as i've been uh, suggesting he is uh, with christian history Magazine, we've had some technical difficulties trying to arrange that interview, so we've rescheduled an attempt for tomorrow. Um, uh, but I would encourage you to check out their online site, uh, Christian History Magazine, online, uh, because they have pulled together a compilation of articles that were actually published. I thought it was a current issue, but they were actually published seven or eight years ago, and they actually used the word "pandemic" in describing the role that the church played in establishing health care and hospitals. So that information can be found online, but we're going to talk about that with him when he joins us tomorrow. So I'm I'm glad that he was willing to. We spent about a half an hour trying to make it happen, and we just couldn't get a good connection. Also, I should mention that Christian History uh, magazine and website, um, they provide a study resource that's offered to home church libraries, homeschoolers, High schools, colleges and universities, they have resources for education there. So you might want to check it out for resources during this season as you're looking for activities um, to challenge the young people in your household. Christian History Magazine. Again, we'll talk to Michael um, Austin. We're going to at least record a conversation tomorrow. I'm not sure we'll run it tomorrow, but we'll uh, let you know when that will be rescheduled. Just before the break, we were talking about uh, isolation. Robin Smith wrote on the subject suggesting that isolation um, is the key to social and physical distancing, as we all know, but it also has side effects that can undermine the health of those who are called to do it. Now, some are healthier than others, some have greater resources than others, so it varies by individual, but healthy social interactions range from the mundane to, of encouraging smiling faces and our daily comings and goings, which is difficult to do with a mask on your face. I went grocery shopping over the weekend, and one of the things that I noticed right away was that I could not express to anyone I was uh, came in contact with, socially distanced, of course, you know, you make eye contact with someone, and I could not smile. My smile could not be discerned by the person uh, on the other end of that social distancing. I was, uh, furthermore, I was shopping for my mother. So I had my reading glasses on so I could read her list. And so I had glasses on. I couldn't even express in the upper part of my face with my eyes that I was smiling. And I found that very frustrating. But anyway, healthy social interactions range from encountering smiling faces in our daily comings and goings, which is difficult with these masks on, uh, to individuals who, uh, partner with groups, uh, counselors, uh, who meet with individuals for the purpose of hearing from those they they are uh, counseling and so on. Uh, But Robin Smith writes that with the prolonged isolation of both sick and well, positive COVID cases with hospitalizations are not the only numbers that have to be considered. Deaths of despair will soon be part of the death count, and that may be an overstatement. I don't know, though uh, there won't be extra COVID funding coming for those uh, lives. Forced unemployment in double digits has placed Americans who would never in their lives expect to to receive a government unemployment check out of work. Uh, um, Wait, they're told, on the population centers to stabilize their case counts and hospitalizations. Wait on some authority to allow nonsensical businesses, the estimated 30.2 million sole proprietors or authentic small businesses that make up more than 98% of all businesses in the U.S. to resume operations. Remember the opioid epidemic. Deaths of despair were characteristic of the opioid crisis because there is a correlation between economic instability or collapse and the increase in illicit drug use and addiction. Well, she goes on from there, but it just makes the point that as followers of Christ, I know many of us have been thinking about ways that we can reach out to those who might be in despair. Now, if we're serious about our faith and we're not in that situation, but there are many around us who are, who are genuinely struggling. And this reminds all of us that isolation, particularly among those who are older, those who have lost their jobs, whose income and um, prospects of employment have dried up, uh, this is a very serious time for them. And uh, we have opportunities to minister from a distance to those who, uh, who need us the most also a reminder that, you know, the walls of seniors facilities have been closed and senior citizens have been isolated because they're considered among the more vulnerable. And for those who are trying to maintain their independence by living alone, um, it's important that a telephone call um, be replaced by a family visit. Uh, for those in facilities, outside visits and group activities are, are not permitted. Uh, they're no longer allowed. So there are measures that are needed for them to stop the spread of the virus among the population. But also to spread joy to uh, to those who, um, who are struggling. Isolation is an issue for them, too. Uh, the goal of uh, one company, Home Instead Senior Care Franchise in Portland, said so the goal of the company is to let seniors age in place, live in their homes or apartment. Uh, and uh, one of the things that they're suggesting that we need to be mindful of are, are those who are um, at home alone in need of fellowship, in need of some sort of social stimulation, to be reminded that they are remembered, that their uh, lives have value, and to connect with them. I saw the image of one couple who had been married for 63 years, Carl Holsley, uh, had an anniversary dinner with his wife, um, his wife Betty, who was in a senior care center. The couple had been married 63 years, and the life for them has changed dramatically. As she has been in a senior living facility, he can no longer go to visit her. Um And so there was a an image in the article of a long table with a tablecloth on one side of the glass. This is on the outside of the facility. On the other side of the glass, inside the facility, there's a identical table with the same tablecloth. There were flowers on the table. There was a social a device that allowed them to uh, through social media connect with one another, and the couple enjoyed their anniversary with glass between the two of them. And this is just an image of, um, the isolation that some are experiencing now in this case, her husband was able to come outside a window and at least they had some sort of contact, but contact, but for many, there's not even that prospect of being remembered or, uh, or seen things have been canceled opportunities for family members to see their loved ones uh, are minimal and, uh, One of the things that they're encouraging us to consider are old-fashioned cards and letters. If the person has difficulty reading, they can be read to them by others in a facility if that uh, is the case. But old-fashioned cards and letters mean a lot to the older generation. First of all, dropping these photos and letters at uh, facilities where seniors are isolated and having these visits where sometimes glass uh, partitions lay between the parties who are connecting But just remembering those who are struggling, isolation brings with it costs that, for those of us who might be sheltering in place with family, may not be uh, fully cognizant of. Well, in other news, and yeah, there are other news stories out there unrelated to uh, this whole thing, Uh, Operation Stolen Promise um, points to the fact that there are always those who will exploit a situation to their own advantage, and that's the case here. Um, as criminals are seeking ways to take advantage of the United States' dwindling health resources and falling economy with the pandemic, multiple law enforcement agencies have pooled their resources to curtail this trend to take advantage of us. Operation Stolen Promise, that's what they've called it, This was spearheaded by the U.S. Immigration Customs and Enforcement, uh, or ICE, and Homeland Security um, Investigations, which is HSI, Uh, The program was launched earlier this month, and it's designed to protect the nation and global supply chain from fraudulent and criminal activity related to the pandemic. Now, one goal has been to facilitate collaboration, collaboration with the multiple federal departments, law enforcement agencies, businesses and industry representatives. We've heard of cases where municipalities have spent big money on supplies that were not uh, available and never arrived. Well, HIS uh, is going to bring every asset to bear against anyone targeting consumers with financial schemes or fraudulent products that jeopardize the health and safety of Americans, um, we are being told. This unified effort brings a whole-of-government approach to monitor, investigate, and arrest those responsible for endanger- endangering rather, the public with criminal acts of fraud related to COVID-19, the pandemic, and the exploitation of the pandemic for illicit gains. So apparently... Uh, as expected, uh, when the population is most vulnerable, there are those who seek to take full advantage. But the government, apparently aware of these efforts, has pulled out all the stops to protect the American people. And uh, if you suspect uh, that you have been uh, the target of this kind of fraud, uh, again, the name of the uh, the organization that is attempting to provide some safety and security is available to uh, to meet that need. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
1: Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We have new numbers for the state of Oregon that were just released uh, shortly. One additional death in Oregon today, 43 new COVID 19 cases. There's been a total of 2,354 known COVID-19 cases in the state of Oregon, including 92 people who have died. One of the things that James pointed out in our conversation earlier is as more tests are being um, made available, the numbers are going down. We did learn that another person has died from COVID-19 here in the state bringing the uh, the death total to 92, according to health officials. The person who died was a 91-year-old Washington County woman with underlying medical conditions. She tested positive uh, earlier this month and died on Saturday. The Oregon Health Authority also announced 43 new known coronavirus cases. The people who tested positive live in Coos, Deschutes, Lynn, Malheur, Marion, Multnomah, Washington, and Yamhill counties. The 43 new cases were among 2,200 total new tests reported on Monday, meaning 98% of the newly reported tests came back negative, and that should be encouraging. There has been a total of 2,354 new COVID-19 cases in Oregon, although the amount of active infections is unclear. Also, Washington Governor Inslee um, and State Recreation says rather that State Recreation public lands. Um, are getting something of an update. All Washington state-run parks and DNR-managed lands closed in late March following his stay-at-home order. Uh, but the governor uh, will hold um, a, a rather held a press conference with wildlife and recreation officials to give an update on the state's uh, response. The governor uh, was joined by Commissioner and Public Lands Hillary Franz, Director of Washington State Department of Fish and Wildlife, Kelly Suswine and uh, Director of Washington State Parks and Recreation Commission Don Hock, all state-run parks, wildlife areas, water access areas, and DNR uh, managed lands closed in late March following the stay-at-home order uh, extended by the governor, will stand in place until the fourth of May. It was last week that the governor announced that the low-risk construction could resume in Washington, marking one of the first steps that that state has taken to slow the reopening of the economy. And on Sunday, boaters gathered in Lake Union in Seattle to ask the governor to ease restrictions on fishing during the pandemic. Under the stay-at-home order, uh, residents are allowed to go out on a boat but are not allowed to fish or cast a line in the water. Hmm. Organizers on Sunday's event said that they were willing to take uh, extra precautions or follow certain guidelines from the State Department of Fish and Wildlife of fishing involves social distancing because people don't want to fish next to other people because they can't catch fish that way. So it's uh, certainly compatible with our current circumstance. Uh, One fisherman said he believes adding fishing won't make matters worse for the pandemic but could help eliminate some of the stress uh, this uh, crowd is feeling. The governor's office said he's looking into ways to ease restrictions on outdoor Recreation. So again, Governor Inslee making announcements, updating the COVID-19 shelter-in-place order with regard to state recreation and public lands, and the state of Oregon with the new numbers: one uh, additional death and 43 new COVID-19 cases. Well, the U.S. Census Bureau needs more time to wrap up the once-a-decade count because the coronavirus opening the the virus rather opening up the possibility that. Uh, delays in drawing up new legislative districts could help determine what political party is in power, what law passes or fails, and whether communities of color get a voice in their states. The number of people counted and their demographics guide how voting districts for the U.S. House and state legislatures are redrawn every 10 years. The months-long delay in census data could make a divisive uh, process more complicated, potentially forcing lawmakers into costly special sessions to complete the work or postponing some primary elections altogether. It's going to pinch the timing for sure on everybody, says a professor at Loyola School in Los Angeles, Justin Levitt. He says, despite complications, advocates, lawmakers, and others largely embrace the census delay as necessary to get a complete count. For a few states, it's incredibly meaningful. With the U.S. so politically polarized, redistricting plays a major role in whether Republicans or Democrats drive the agenda in each state, and how those lawmakers' decisions can affect people's lives. Now, it shouldn't, but the truth is it does. Parties that win large legislative majorities can tilt policy to the left or to the right on abortion, on gun control, taxes, other contentious issues. Redistricting typically is done by state lawmakers and governors, but an increasing number of states, they've shifted to special commissions. Well, the new districts frequently are challenged in court for not properly representing minority communities, for example, or favoring one party over another in what's called gerrymandering, drawing the lines to advantage one group or another. Well, after Republicans scored big statewide victories in 2010, for example, they used their enhanced power in 2011 to draw districts to their advantage in some states, spawning Democratic-backed lawsuits that spanned much of the next decade. Ten years. Democrats have historically done the same when they were in control. The census delay could trigger more lawsuits. So divisiveness seems to be um, the word of the day and sadly the practice as well. Well, there's a lot of speculation about Kim Jong-un and whether or not he lives, how seriously ill he might be, what happened to um, leave him out of events that would otherwise have been very important and have been historically to the dear leader. Well, there's lots of speculation there now in North Korea that Kim Jong-un's health um, is uh, poor. Some have speculated that he may not be living. Well, the focus has shifted to his elusive sister, who may be next in line to assume the head of the Kim dynasty. I don't know if that's looked upon favorably in North Korea to have a woman resume or assume that power or not, but even Kim Jong-un's age is a mystery, this is the sister, She's rumored to be 36 years old, but we don't really know, approximately four years younger than her brother, and reportedly is the youngest child of the former leader, Kim Jong-il. Well, her first public appearance was at her father's funeral in 2011, her first. Since then, she's worked quietly in the background with Kim Jong-un's regime, even accompanying him in 2018 as he met South Korean leader Moon Jae-in during the historic summit between the two nations. Well, just months beforehand, she attended the Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, South Korea, becoming the first member of North Korea's ruling family to visit a region since the end of the Korean War in 1953. She later attended a, a highly publicized lunch with Moon Jae-in. Well, Kim yo Jong, who was the sister, would be the first woman to rule over North Korea, which has built up its nuclear stronghold despite the rest of the country's living in poverty. Seoul repeatedly has denied that Kim Jong-un's health was in dire peril, even as unconfirmed rumors and media reports suggest he was in a vegetative state after undergoing heart surgery. We just don't know. Kim Yo Jong's reputation has suggested she would rule much in the vein of her brother, who has uh, represented the third generation of their family to lead North Korea. In a rare public statement this past March, she criticized South Korea's presidential Blue House for urging North Korea to cease nuclear weapons testing in an effort to quell tensions in the region. Well, Kim yo Jong currently has served as the first vice department director of the Workers' Party Central Committee. U.S. official placed her on a blacklist in 2017 for human rights abuses. So if there was any hope that perhaps her rules, should she be given that position under circumstances we are not at all clear about, It's not uh, certain that she would be a more compassionate ruler than her brother, her father, or grandfather before her. But again, all of this is speculation at this point. Uh, We know that Chinese doctors have gone to North Korea, presumably to treat uh, Kim Jong-il in mid-April. And again, what that means beyond that, we simply do not know. So the uh, hermit kingdom and the hermit king, if you will, the dear leader... Uh, his condition, his whereabouts, his absence are yet to be explained, although earlier today there was an effort by the communist uh, Chinese government to suggest that, in fact, uh, he had written a letter of thanks that was referenced in a public announcement suggesting that he was responding to a current event. Now, it was not his in his voice, it was not a letter that was presented in his hand, but it was simply announced as his response, his expression of gratitude, uh, to some group within the country that had pleased him in some way. So we don't really know what the situation uh, is there. Maybe it's time to send in an NBA baller uh, to find out what the uh, the status of Kim Jong-il actually is. We'll just have to see. What we do know is something obviously has happened. We just don't know what or to what extent he is incapacitated. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back to wrap things up.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
1: Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. We're hearing a lot of discussion among um, governors, federal governments, authorities about how to slowly reopen to um, commerce, while churches nationwide are also making plans for soft reopening with fewer attendees, with sanitation stations, so that once again, we can fellowship together. Now, it's going to be tough to fellowship together and not embrace each other as is common in church. Um, But nonetheless, churches nationwide are making some plans for what they're calling soft reopenings. Um, After holding these online services for weeks due to the mandatory social distancing, lots of churches all around the country are planning to reopen while taking precautions to uh, check the spread of the coronavirus. In Missouri, for example, Governor Mike Parson on Friday announced his plans to reopen the state uh, that's been shut down by the virus, including guidance for attending church. Businesses and other organizations are going to be allowed to reopen beginning the 4th of May, while an emergency declaration will be extended through June the 15th. The governor there said in a news conference, some communities will be able to open at a faster rate than others. Well, in Fishers, uh, Indiana, a local pastor um, he announced that the church building will reopen for services this weekend and called the governor's stay at home order an attack on religious freedom. We are officially in a situation where your religious freedom has been removed in the interest of public health. Not actually bad since we can connect in other ways, but uh, he went on to say this is Pastor Dave Sumrall at I Town Church. So, on one hand, the church has been deemed essential, on the other, We're not allowed to gather. I personally believe this is an attack on what the definition of church is. Well, I think that's probably outside of what most church leaders have decided, understanding that for the sake of our neighbors, we are willing to meet in other ways. Technology has made that possible. Well, the church said it would only allow 10 people at a time for Sunday worship and will start a new service every hour. So apparently throughout the day, they would have a service every hour. Well, in New York, Syracuse Diocese is also planning to reopen in a safe and effective manner. Bishop Douglas Lucia uh, sent out a letter notifying local churches about that plan. I feel we must err on the side of caution in order to eradicate this deadly virus from our communities, and we'll continue to follow the directives of local authorities. He wrote, I'm looking to see if an outdoor mass with participants staying in their cars is feasible as an interim measure, if not Uh, Permitted to gather in our church buildings. Again, church leaders coming up with creative ways for the church to come together. Each week I'm trying to do my best via YouTube and our parish Facebook page to send a message of encouragement and hope and to celebrate Sunday liturgy so that we can at least feel connected to one another. Father Joseph Salerno of Our Lady of Lords Church in South Utica. Uh, uh, was quoted as saying, one of the thoughts that has come forward is to possibly have a mass specifically designated for those who are most vulnerable. That that may be people 65 years or older, those who are most vulnerable and at the point in their life, um, he points out that he's among them, we could keep them as safe as possible. Well, in Montana, Governor Steve Bullock, he announced phase one of reopening that includes churches. Summit Church there, the lead pastor Lance Steves. He says his congregation is going to cooperate, setting chairs up at six feet apart where people have their uh, safety in distance, sanitation to have hand sanitizers available, stations set up where people are constantly cleaning, shortening services where it helps people to alleviate things like the restroom. Uh, We talked about perhaps closing down areas like the meeting places around the coffee bar, he said. I think the number one for the soft launch is to allow people to know that we are still going to be online, and especially people who are elderly people who have low immune systems to recommend that they stay home until we get the all clear. So again, these are the musings of church leaders trying to come up with ways that they can reconvene with their um, their parishioners. In Oklahoma, despite Governor Kevin Stitt's willingness to allow churches to reopen, some congregations say that they're not ready. Um, we, uh, we all want to preach, and I get that, but we also want to protect people too. That's a quote from Pastor Keith Wigginton of Claremont, or rather Claremore First Baptist, uh, there are people there um, that are like, I'm coming back right now. And then there are some that are like, I'm not coming back for six months. Well, nearly half of pastors across the country hope to be back in their buildings with their congregations by May. However, a recent weekly national pastor panel survey uh, earlier this month, this was April 7th through the 13th, so it may not reflect um, current thinking, Conducted by Barna, measuring their um, well-being, said that uh, when it comes to well-being, attendance, uh, giving, they suggested that most pastors expect their return might take longer. I think that's probably more realistic as we stand at this juncture. Asked when they thought they'd be able to host church services in their usual location or building. 47% of pastors predicted this would happen in May. That group of pastors, eyeing a May deadline, however, showed a 10% drop over the previous week. 57% When 57% of pastors in the survey picked as uh, their o- opening month. Some 50% of pastors in the survey also felt uh, they wouldn't be able to return to their church building until June or later. Of this group, 35% chose June, 14% picked July or August, while 1% imagine their return will be even later than that, not until the fall. Well, Last week, President Trump unveiled guidelines for opening up America again, after weeks of a nearly nationwide lockdown, and of course everything will, deter- will be determined, or at least in part be determined, by um, what the president, what uh, local leaders, and why governors in our each respective state, what's going on in our uh, locales, um, what those authorities have to say about it all. So even churches are trying to come up with soft openings, plans for making facilities available so that the church can come together together, in one location. I mean, the church now is scattered across the uh, fruited plain, as is always the case until we come together uh, as the body, but we still remain the same, even though our meeting places have changed as a result of this whole pandemic. Well, tomorrow on the program, we're looking forward to a uh, reprise with author Susan Alexander Yates with some ideas for families to help you stay active and connected to one another during this Uh, this pandemic where we are quarantined. It can be a challenge, and I know many parents are struggling with keeping their kids' uh, activity levels up, and of course you have age ranges that makes it more difficult for some kids and easier for others. Anyway, we're going to talk with uh, Susan Alexander Yates about that and provide you with some, I think, some help in uh, getting them little more active. So we'll look forward to that conversation. Also, uh, Michael Austin, who was going to be my guest today, we attempted, in fact, we made several attempts to engage in conversation earlier in the day. We had some technical difficulties. We're going to try again tomorrow. He is uh, the spokesperson for Christian History Institute and uh, Christian History Magazine. We're going to talk about a compilation of studies that were actually published some years ago uh, that, uh, made mention of a pandemic and the role that the the church has played in establishing in establishing health care and hospitals. So we're going to talk with him about that, and we'll share that with you either tomorrow or perhaps on Wednesday. Well, I want to thank James Blend for producing today's program, Clark Hilton for engineering, Dan Rice for the use of his office. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Stay safe and hope we can get together again tomorrow. Good night.